Welcome to the Orange Crest Community Church Podcast. Our hope is that this weekly podcast provides both encouragement and challenge as you move forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening. All right, it's, it's Super Bowl today. Some of you are like, really? Is that so? Some of you are smoking meat back at home right now, I'm sure. And it'll be ready in a few hours for you. Um, myself, another guy on our staff, John, who was up here kind of telling you what's coming up in church life, he and I are hopping on a plane this afternoon, so we're going to miss all the good smoked meat that are going on, you know, celebrations for Super Bowl today. But we're flying to Texas, and I think they have a lot of meat there in Texas, so we're flying there for a meeting tomorrow, and uh, we'll be back tomorrow night, but so I'm thinking trade-off, you know, that we can go big meat in Texas, it's just a... But we're going to miss the Super Bowl with a lot of friends here. So I'm glad you're here today. We're, we're launching a new series today called Identity. And there is a lot of debate and a lot of confusion tied to this issue, isn't there? This is a major topic. It's always been a major topic, but these days there is much confusion. And in reality, a good life flows from having a healthy identity. If you've ever tried to work with people... And help people grow. You understand the issue of identity and how important it is to help people grow. They need to have a firm grip on their identity. And so throughout this series, we're going to be primarily taking a journey through the New Testament book of 1 Peter. And so 1 Peter is, it's one of the last books of the, of the Bible. So near the end of the Bible, Peter was one of Jesus's, uh, closest, you know, early followers during Jesus's earthly ministry. And so he's writing the book of 1 Peter from a, from the vantage point of someone who's walked with Jesus and, and, you know, did life closely with Jesus. And so if you're someone who is here and you're trying to walk closely with Jesus and that you would say he's the boss of your life, then the passages in this series from First Peter ought to guide your thinking about identity. Okay? So if you're Christ follower, this should help guide and set some boundaries around your thinking as it, as it relates to your identity. And so I want to begin by laying a foundation for how to think about identity. There are some fundamental definitions and understandings that will be a real help as we walk through First Peter together. If you're uh, not a Christ follower yet and you're here and you're exploring Christianity, then I, I just want to say I'm, I'm really thrilled that you're here to worship with us. And you're going to listen you know, in on uh, this kind of conversation about what does a Christ follower uh, do what? What? How have they been made, and what is what is the meaning and purpose look like for a Christ follower? And this book, First Peter, really fleshes that out. And so we're glad that you've joined us for this uh, series. But I want to start by answering the question: What is identity? Okay, what is what is identity? Identity is who I am at the core of my being. That's that's our identity. That's the definition we're working with here: is who you are at the core of your being, and to a great extent. Our choices flow out of the grasp that you have on your identity. If you have a flawed understanding of your identity, that just can really rattle you to the core. And really, it can lead you to make some very foolish decisions that can wall off God's uh, blessing, the good that he would want to bring into your life. That Some of the choices we can make regarding identity, our identity can really wall us off from experiencing some of the good things that he wants for us. Again, if you're not yet a Christ follower, I just hope this series will help you understand how following Christ is really the beginning step towards finding meaning and purpose in life. 
And God's Word, the Bible, is it's our source for this series, and as it is for us here on Sundays. But there are some great identity-shaping statements in the Scripture that really help us grasp our identity from God's viewpoint. Like, what, what is it that God thinks about us? That's what we're really concerned with here. What does God think about life and, and how life works and in us? Now, main premise in Scripture... And for this whole series will be this, is that design is an important part of our identity. I want to invite you to take out this uh, listening guide, and you can fill in some of the, uh, the inserts, the blanks, if you, if you choose to. But the first one there is, design is an important part of our identity. Our identity has a solid bedrock in our Creator. And identity is both assigned and chosen. It's both of those things. It's assigned and it's chosen. It's assigned because we're created beings. And so look at Genesis chapter 1. This is the very beginning of the Bible. So maybe if, you're, if, you're, if you have a Bible and you, you're holding First Peter, go to Genesis 1, the very first chapter. and Verse 27 says this, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So from Genesis 1.27, we, we learn some things. It's really important to, to, to hang on to these things, too. Primarily, creator, created being. This is something that is critical to this whole series. Creator, created being. Or designer, uh, creation. He has formed and fashioned us. But I'm not, I'm not the creator. I'm not the designer. There is one, though. And, and I'll do my best if I accept that God has made me in a certain way and live aligned with the way that I've been made. Now, it's not an accident that, that you're male or that you're female and that you're wired in a certain way. Uh, we'll, and we're going to find out in the first two verses of, of 1 Peter, that God actually has given much thought into the person that he's made when he made you. Okay? He, he gave this great thought. So our, our identity is, is assigned. Now, this is part of the debate, isn't it? That's part of the debate today. Uh, but, but the Scripture teaches that our identity has been assigned by God. But we're also looking at the fact that our identity is also chosen. In other words, we're not forced to align with the way that God has made us. Or, or you might even say, if you're not yet a Christian, then you might say, well, yeah, I agree. I'm not forced to line up my life with the way that you say that God made me. So, but again, some of the terms, identity is both assigned and it's chosen. You choose this as well. You choose whether or not to include God in your understanding of who you are or not. You can leave him out. And the decision that you make really impacts the path that you will take to develop your own self-concept. And in our day and age, identity is just, it's viewed solely as, as something you just choose. And this issue of being assigned, that's where a lot of the debate really is. And there's little credit given in our culture to creation and to design. And God, he's not going to force us to accept our assigned identity but what happens is reality gets confused if we don't, and we don't line up with it. In our world, it's very popular to focus on our own ability to just choose our identity exclusively. So I want, I want to show you a video.
This is a video from a college campus in the Northwest. And the person asking the questions, he's really trying to... He's trying to, to... He's asking questions about identity, but he just keeps probing deeper and deeper to try to help people understand what they're really saying when they're answering these questions on identity. And so let's watch the video, and then I'm going to have some comments on it after we see it. There's been a lot of talk about identity lately, but how far does it go? And is it possible to be wrong? We went to the University of Washington to find out. Are you aware of the debate happening in Washington State around um, the ability to access bathrooms, locker rooms, spas based on gender identity and gender expression? I, I think people should be able to have access to the facility. I think uh, bathrooms could and potentially should be gender neutral because there doesn't need to be a classification for differences. I think people definitely should have the ability to go into whichever locker room they want. Uh, I feel like at least public universities should do their best to accommodate for those who do not have a specific uh, gender identity. You know, whether you identify as male or female and whether your sex at birth is matching to that, you should be able to utilize the resource. So if I told you that I was a woman, what would your response be? Good for you. Okay. Like, <laughs> yeah. Nice to meet you. I'd be like, what? <laughs> really? I don't have a problem with it. I'd ask you how you came to that conclusion. If I told you that I was Chinese, what would your response be? I mean, I might be a little surprised, but I'd say, good for you. Like, yeah, be who you are. <laughs> I would maybe think you had some Chinese ancestor. I would ask you how you similarly came to that conclusion and why you came to that conclusion. Um, I would have a lot of questions just because on the outside I would assume that you're a white man. If I told you that I was seven years old, what would your response be? Um, I wouldn't believe that immediately. Uh, I probably wouldn't believe it, but I mean, I, it wouldn't really bother me that much to go out of my way and tell you no, you're wrong. I'd just be like, oh, okay, he wants to say he's seven years old. If you feel seven at heart, then, <laughs> then so be it. Yeah, good for you. So if I wanted to enroll in a first grade class, do you think I should be allowed to? Uh... Probably not, I guess. I mean, unless you haven't completed first grade up to this point and for some reason need to do that now. If that's where you feel like mentally you should be, then I feel like there are communities that would accept you for that. I would say so long as you're not hindering society and you're not causing harm to other people, I feel like that should be an okay thing. If I told you I'm six feet, five inches, what would you say? That I would question. Why? <laughs> because you're not. <laughs> no, I don't think you're 6'5". If you truly believe you're 6'5", I don't think it's harmful. I think it's fine if you believe that. It doesn't matter to me if you think you're taller than you are. <laughs> so you'd be willing to tell me I'm wrong? I wouldn't tell you you're wrong. No, but i say that um, I don't think that you are. I feel like that's not my place as, like, another human to say someone is wrong or to draw lines or boundaries. No, I mean, I wouldn't just go, like, oh, you're wrong. Like, that's wrong to believe in it. Because, I mean, again, it doesn't really bother me what you want to think about your height or anything. So I can be a Chinese woman. You... <laughs> um... Sure. But I can't be a six foot five Chinese woman. Yes. 
if you thoroughly debated me or explained why you felt that you were six foot five, uh, I feel like I would be very open to saying that you were six foot five or Chinese or a woman. It shouldn't be hard to tell a five nine white guy that he's not a six foot five Chinese woman, but clearly it is. Why? What does that say about our culture? And what does that say about our ability to answer the questions that actually are difficult? So, mainly wanted to show that because there's just this, it's a confusing issue today, isn't it? I mean, this is, there is no shortage of confusion in our world. That's why we're doing this series, because we want to look at this issue of identity. It's, we're really, this message isn't about gender equality, but this series is going to touch on a number of things that are, that are identity issues. And if, you're, if you really want to see that again, there's, you can just look it up. It's on YouTube, and it's called College Kids Say the Darndest Things. But there's more. There's more. So he keeps asking more questions than other people, and then you'll get more uh, you know, answers along the same lines. And it's true, we're all free to choose how we view ourselves. However, the Bible makes a case for assigned identity as well. And, and that's what I want to look at. The, the concept we develop about ourselves, can, it can change over our lifetime because we have both a primary identity and a secondary identity. And this is where I think some of the real practical problems come up in, in the way we try to make choices, the way we live our lives. So if you want to look at your listening guide again, our primary identity is who I am at the core of my being. That, that's, that's, that's tied to what has been assigned. Now, there's also our secondary identity, and jot this down. I, your secondary identity is... It's based on the roles you play or the labels that you have been given or labels that you choose. And we can do great harm to ourselves if we confuse our secondary identity with our primary identity. Or I should say, we can cause a lot of problems if we, if we push our secondary identity roles above our primary identity. This, that's the source of great problem. And all sorts of misplaced hope. There can be a strong pull, like gravity, to push, in our world, for us to push our secondary identity above our primary. And that's what I want to flesh out this morning. Now, God is the source of our primary identity. He's the one who assigned it. And everything else is, is of secondary worth. But let's look at some of the secondary roles. And I want you to think about how do you, what are your secondary identity roles? Try to, try to get specific in your own notes as you think through this. But there are roles like related to family. Here's a whole list of secondary identity roles that you play. Your family. If, if you're here and you're a husband or you're a wife or you're a father, a mother, or you're a child, or you're a sibling, a brother, sister, that's a family role. Now, that's a secondary identity role. And some moms are, you know, they, when you become a mom, it's, it's you've been, some moms say, I've been looking forward to this all of my life. And I've heard moms say, I, I was made for this, I, I'm excited about this, and, and, and 
But then their kids, they grow up and they launch into adulthood and they leave the nest. And then moms don't know what to do because they're still grasping for a role that had become everything to them. It was at the core of their being, in fact. And so the secondary role, in some cases, gets bumped up and it becomes primary. Some moms would say, this is... This is the core of my being. This is the most important thing to me. And then when that role changes, they don't know what to do. The meaning, the purpose, there's all sorts of questions at this point. That's where the problems begin. And now we know that family life is important. The roles you play in family life, it's a part of your identity. But the problem is, in your family, you're not perfect. You actually disappoint people, and they disappoint you. And so if we keep this in the right place, if we keep primary... And secondary, in the right place, then it, we do well because you and I can then rest in knowing that there is a creator, there is a God who holds things together, and we're not him. But if you tie your primary identity to your family role, you will live a very disappointed life because you're just a human. You're just a person, and the members of your family are the same thing. And so there's great struggle there. Other secondary roles related to our, our work, related to our career. And so you have... You have businessmen, you have homemakers, and this definitely shapes our concept of ourselves. But it crumbles if we try to make, again, these secondary identity roles primary. So, for example, if you're a Christian, if you're a Christ follower, Jesus is the boss, and you're, and you're a businessman, businessman. Are, are you a Christian first, or are you a businessman first? Do you keep that in order? How do you wrestle through that? Or is business first for you and then following Christ is really a secondary thing? This can, Again, this can become a real problem. And I've seen what I've seen is people will chase a job or a dream or an opportunity with little thought for how that will impact their faith. And then decades go by and they're not happy with where they are spiritually. And they wonder, what, what happened? Well, what happened was secondary got bumped to primary. And the thought is, well, I'm just going to chase the dream. I'm going to chase the, the job. And there must be an opportunity to grow spiritually there, but they don't really look into it. They assume. And I've seen people just dry up. The same thing can happen with hobbies or sports. Like for those that, you know, build their lives around a hobby or a sport, we begin to view everything through the filter of that sport. If, if you're an athlete and if you, if you excel in athletics, then it's very difficult to not allow this to, to become the number one thing in your life. But, again, it's not, it's not a solid core. And when that season dries up, what then will you have? Another thing is a special interest or a cause, whether it's protesting for some cause or fighting for some cause. Right now, it's, these days, there are all sorts of social justice concerns that we have. And, I mean, none of us can just turn a blind eye to the problems in the world. There are legitimate problems that we need to be concerned about. But if you make a social cause your primary identity... And again, you're standing on a weak and, and shaky foundation. Even, even a medical issue or a mental diagnosis, whether it's you're hunting for a cure, you know, all of your life can become about that. And, and you might think, well, science and medicine is advancing so much that this, this could create even stronger pull for you to think that I, I should give my life to this thing. This needs to be the core of my being. Um, but again, it's shaky. And clearly, health and having a full life, you know, those things are important. It's just that 
In the Bible, we see over and over, if we try to make any secondary piece of our identity primary, we suffer, and all those around us who are attached to us suffer as well. And so if you're connected to someone, if you're married, this impacts your spouse if, if these issues get confused. So flipping these is, is, is a costly uh, decision. Now here's the good news. Once you decide, and if you decide to follow Jesus Christ, he gives a new identity. And he begins to connect us, or he, he connects us at that point from becoming a Christ follower. He connects us to God in a way that can radically change our understanding of ourselves for good. And so today I just want to look at the intro two verses of First Peter. And we'll get to the rest of the book as we go into this series, but... Look at these first two verses. They're packed full of information about our identity in Christ. Here's what they say. First Peter 1, verses 1 and 2. Kind of a mouthful. And I'm going to go back and explain it. So let me just read the whole section. It says, Peter, he introduces himself. This is, he's the author. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, in Galatia, in Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, those are regions, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. And then he greets everyone. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now, if you're reading that thinking, that's why I don't read the Bible right there. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's a mouthful and it's confusing. I get it. So let's, let's just walk through that slowly. And the first thing I want us to see is this. Christ's followers have a new prime identity from God. This is on the back of your listening guide. Christ followers have a new prime identity from God. So in verse 1, Peter, he calls the relatively new Christians by a name that applies to all Christ followers. And it's, it's, this, it's this phrase, elect exiles. He calls Christians, this, this letter that he's writing is written to the elect exiles. And these aren't words that we use often, so what do they mean? First off, the word exile. To be in exile means you've, you know, the thought is like, we think of the terms of being banished. If you're exiled, you're banished to some place. Exile refers to being a temporary resident who's living in a foreign place. An expatriate. An expat is, is someone, it's a, maybe a better used word to understand this verse. But an expat is someone living in a country where they're not citizens. They're an expatriate. There's someone living out of their homeland. And you may or not, but I, I tend to think of, uh, of an exile as someone who's been punished for a crime. Like they're banished, someone who's been banished to Siberia to live out the rest of their life in exile. But the sense here is that a Christ follower is someone who's not yet home. So what that means is, if you're a Christian, then earth is not your home. You're a stranger here. You're a foreigner here. This is, your time on earth is very temporary. In the scheme of eternity, isn't it? It's just, it's a blip. It's, this is just temporary. Now, but this is what we know. And it just seems like, no, this is it. This is it. And what Peter's saying, no, this is, this is temporary. You're in exile. Now, this idea of, of getting a grip on the fact that heaven is my home. When I was young and someone would try to describe, don't you want to go to heaven? You'll go to heaven someday. I'm like... I mean, it, how do you get your mind around that as a young person? It almost had no bearing on my life. But when you grow a little older, 
and people around you begin to die, whether of old age or, or tragically die, and you begin to experience maybe aging yourself or sickness yourself, now all of a sudden heaven gets very, very real. So whether you see it or not, heaven is home. If you're a Christian, heaven is your home. Earth is, is temporary. You're an expatriate. You're an exile, Peter says. That's a Christ follower, just passing through. And so the view of yourself, this view of yourself, is crucial to handling life in a way that pleases God. Because if you see yourself in that way, then the, the meaning and the purpose and the, the richness of life is, is viewed in light of that. The alternative is you grasp for everything right now. You live for yourself. You see that life is about choosing what you feel and, and, and that this is really it. But a Christian lives differently. They live in, in, as exiles here. They're strangers. Now, Peter also says you're an elect exile. What that means is th- this word elect, it gives us a sense of our great worth before God. We're chosen by God. If you're elected, you're chosen, right? And if you're a Christ follower, the Bible says you were formerly cut off from God. You were, you were spiritually uh, dead because of, of our sin. Our sin cuts us off from God. We were enemies of God. We were spiritually dead. We were awaiting judgment for our life of sin. We were awaiting our penalty for our rebellion. But then God, He chose to rescue us through His Son's precious blood. He sent Jesus. So the Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that's Jesus, that whoever... For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. Help me out here. I'm blanking on John 3.16. That whoever should believe in Him shall not perish, but shall have everlasting life. Like the crux of the Gospel. (laughs) Now, God initiated. God loved the world. He sent His Son for those who believe. Now, This idea of being elect, it it, it lets us know that he is the one that started the process he elected. He chose. And this idea that Christ followers are chosen from a group of people who are not chosen and now are chosen and included in God's family, that's powerful. This gives you a sense of the great privilege and the blessing. And the word chosen, it just reveals our status before God. But on the flip side, were you ever not chosen on the playground? Or not chosen to play in a pickup basketball game? I mean, look at me. I know I was, I was not chosen to play in a pickup basketball game. Um, nor football games either. But, and so, you're, you're grateful. You read this and you think, wow, if, if I'm a Christ follower, what that means is that God has elected. He's, he's chosen me. And when we see that, it can create that sense of, wow, God thinks I'm worth something. Scripture says that God loves the, the entire world. In the next book, that Second Peter chapter 3, just to read you something, it says, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to, to repentance. So God is actually, He's patient. There, there are many that, that are, are, I would say, are, have not chosen Him, have not responded to God's election, and... The way he works is God, God chooses, but then we respond and we choose him. And it's a mystery to us. We, we solve the mystery by choosing. 
We, we choose him, and whenever you choose him, you discover you were chosen by him. The Bible actually says that he chose, he chose us before the found, not just before you were born, but before the foundation of the world. Before he made anything, he chose those who would come to him. And, but it's a mystery. This issue of God's sovereign choice and human responsibility are perplexing concepts that are found in balance in the Bible. Because you read both of these things in the scripture. And right now, it's confusing and it's, it's a mystery. But we'll get more clarity in heaven on this. If you've figured out that mystery, you can fill me in, please. Fill me in. I'm looking forward to, to having the veil lifted and seeing how that all comes together. But I do see how God brings these two things in harmony in the scripture. We've been chosen. All of these things, the elect exiles, I really wanted to just spend this morning focusing on those things because it's so important. These have major implications for our identity in Christ. We're chosen by the king of the universe to be his own people with all the protection, the benefits, the future inheritance that comes with it. And then it says, Peter goes on and says, to those, this is the letter to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Basically, God chose us and then he put us in places where we would live and make a difference. He put us in families and neighborhoods and workplaces to live aligned with our identity to show those around us who God is and what Jesus can do in the life of his followers. And so these regions, Pontus, Galatia, these are regions in Asia Minor, mostly modern-day Turkey. And this is more than likely where this letter that Peter wrote circulated. It just This was the delivery route of the messenger. But this verse is power-packed with so much information about our core identity in Christ. Verse 2, this uncovers the summary of our primary identity. And here, here's the case. Is our part is to keep our new identity in focus. This is the most challenging thing. Is to keep our, our new primary identity, if you're a Christ follower, that you are a Christ follower, to keep this in focus as you live here on earth. Each and every day. Check out what it says about who we are. Verse 2 says that as elect exiles chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. These are three phrases here. Those three phrases give us more of a grasp on our primary identity and show us, you know, how to live purposefully each day. The first phrase is according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. That's, again, that's language we don't often use. The word foreknowledge here, it just, it carries a deeper meaning than just that God knows for a fact that you are a chosen expatriate or a chosen exile living in Asia Minor. It's more than that. The meaning of this word in the, in the, in the Greek, which is the language that the New Testament was written in, it reveals that God has a personal, loving knowledge, a deep knowledge of you and I. And this idea is that God knew us in this personal, loving way. Like I said, before you were born, even before the world was made. And if we could soak up the truth of that kind of love from God, it could radically change the way that we approach living our lives, understanding that God has foreknown us. The second phrase here is in sanctification, in the sanctification of the Spirit. This is referring to how God's Spirit, the God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three in one. The second person 
of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, is the one who's changing us, who comes to live inside of a Christ follower. The moment you say yes to Jesus, God puts his spirit inside of you, and he's the one who is changing you to become more like Christ through the circumstances of your lives. And sanctification is the word that is used to describe the transformation process that is taking place while you're on planet Earth. It's, it's this process called sanctification. God is in the process of saving you. He doesn't just, you don't just say, God, okay, I respond, you, you love me, I choose you, I respond to you, and then all of a sudden, he changes you and you become the person that you'll be in heaven. No. He begins this process of, of working on you. Now, there's a lot of hope in this understanding, the fact that God is not through with me. Because when I screw up and when I mess up, when I fail, when I let people down, I, I'm brought hope Reminded that God is, he's, he's in this process of sanctifying me. You, you are placed into the realm of the Spirit if you're a Christ follower. What this means is that there's this unseen, unheard activity of God's Holy Spirit that surrounds us almost like a spiritual, like an atmosphere. And what God does through His Spirit is He turns every circumstance, every sorrow, every hardship, every challenge, He uses those things and He turns them into a tool to refine us and to make us more and more like Christ through the years of our life. And that, that's hopeful. That gives me hope that tomorrow he's going to continue to work this out so that the things I screwed up on and blew, blew today, I can be a different person. But without understanding who you are in Christ Jesus and what he's doing and where you're headed, then you can just grow bitter at the circumstances of your life here and now. And if, if things in your life are really difficult and you can't fix it and you lose sight of your identity and where God is leading you and what he's doing here and now, you just get very bitter at this experience. And bitter at the circumstances and some people get really bitter at God. But if we understand this process of sanctification that he's taking us through, this could radically shift our outlook if we understood what God is doing right now. Your struggle, your your trials, these are not a waste. They're not going to be wasted. God is using them to change you. The third phrase here, and we'll pretty much wrap up with this, is this phrase, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. The sprinkling of blood is, is a word picture that would bring the idea of forgiveness to the minds of Peter's readers. So blood was sprinkled to bring forgiveness through the act of sacrifice. And what this does for a Christian is it, it calls to our mind the once and for all sacrifice that Jesus Christ made and that Christ followers accept whenever they come to him. And the idea is that we live each day aiming to, do, aiming to obey Christ and do what he's told us. But when we mess up, which we all do, we're continually forgiven. He shows us grace and forgiveness, and that just keeps motivating us to live his way, to, to Ask for his forgiveness to receive it, get back up on our feet, and keep moving forward. But these phrases really flesh out what, what it looks like, what God, how God sees you and what he's doing in you. And I want to wrap up with, a, with, a, with one more video. It's a very brief video. It's a one-minute video about identity. And it's a video made for kids' own age children. And so, but it lays out the truths of identity that we've been talking about. And it, it lays it out very clearly... And there's just some basics that we need to grasp if we really hold on to them. They provide a solid foundation. It is a kid's video. I know we're all adults, so bear with the kid video because it really summarizes well this issue. So let's, let's roll it. Today we're talking about identity. 
that's kind of a big word, but identity just means who you are. Let me break it down for you. Maybe you're a guitar player, but that's not who you are. Maybe you're really funny. That's not who you are either. Maybe you're adopted, or you really like sports, or you wear glasses, or you're a brother, or a sister, or you like science, or you're an artist. Those things might all be a part of you, but they're not who you are. Because all those little things that are a part of you are just that, one part of you. They don't make you you. God does that. The only real identity you have, the thing that makes you who you are, is this. You're made by God and loved by God. You may feel like you're supposed to be a lot of things, but you only need to listen to God because He loves you, He's always with you, and He has a plan for you so we can trust Him and follow Him wherever He wants to take us. And that, in a nutshell, is identity. I wish I could be that succinct, you know. It takes a long time for, for me to get these things out there. But if, if you're here and you're thinking, you know, I, this is helping me wrestle with some issues that I don't often think about, then, I, then I, I'd be really excited to hear that. Um, we want to help you explore what it means to, to choose Jesus Christ. And so... If that's where you're at and you're needing clarity, then let us know. Let us know how we can help in that way. And, again, don't keep pushing secondary identity issues to be primary. That just, that will fall apart. That will lead to a very shaky life. So, on the bottom of your listening guide, you'll notice there's some next steps. The first one is to identify a wrong core identity. So, if there's something you're pushing for that you'd say, this is the wrong thing, but it's become primary. Identify that and make a shift. Second next step here is read 1 Peter 1 this week. Read the whole chapter of 1 Peter 1, chapter 1, and you'll be a little more prepared for the next few weeks. And then the last is just if you come back next for the next uh, week as we continue on to this series. So let, let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning and this group that you brought here. Thank you for the great truths that we learned from the Bible that you created us, you made us for a purpose and for a meaning and you're, you're fulfilling uh, your purposes, your great purposes on earth through people you're working through us Lord and you've called us to yourself to know you, to walk with you and now uh, to be a, a light in this world and so God I pray that you'd really help us God to not get discouraged or distracted by the trappings of this world and to miss our prime identity, Lord. For those that are here that are searching right now, I just pray you continue to answer questions they have, Lord, and, and lead in conversations, Lord, that would really help make sense of what it means to know you. Lord, we, we're walking through many challenges in this room. There's difficulty right now. So I pray for strength and comfort for those that are just hurting and need uh, to talk through things. Lord, I pray you would really continue to do a work in all of our lives here, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray you've been encouraged by the message and equipped to move forward in obedience to God's Word. Join us again next week for another Orange Crest Community Church podcast.